Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 1234 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you on Oilers Now. Bruce Chris Steakhouse, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. It's Edmonton owned and operated, and it's open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 p.m. until close. Head down to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Brendan, Maggie Taylor, and the staff at Bruce Chris that Oilers now sent you. We go to our headliner today for touchback safety. When it's time for safety training, trust the experts at touchbacksafety.com. Your safety is their goal. We welcome back Louis DeBrusque. Hello, Louis. How you doing? I'm doing good today, Bob. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm okay. okay. I'm uh, looking forward to a couple games tonight. You're going to be working the next couple of nights. Uh, let's maybe start with uh, this Colorado-Dallas series. It's been a wild one, hasn't it? It has been. You know what? It's been uh, ever-changing, it seems. And it looked like the Stars had everything in such control. Uh, early on in the series, they came out, they won the first two games and went up 3-1 in the series. But the Avalanche, you know, to a man, seemed to have, you know, just found their game. The battle level's gone up and maybe a little drop-off on the Stars' part, too. But um, it's been entertaining, that's for sure. There's no question, two very, very good teams that are battling, two different teams in the way they play um, structurally a bit. Uh, Dallas is such a good team at shutting things down, very opportunistic, and have gotten scoring throughout their lineup. But the, the Avalanche, when they're really firing all cylinders, they're just a high-octane, really aggressive, fast team that comes at you. And what can you say about Nathan McKinnon right now? He's uh, He's been outstanding as a point in every single game that he's played in the playoffs, and it doesn't look like he's slowing down too much. Well, no, right now he's the best player in the world that's playing because Connor McDavid is, yeah. doesn't have a chance to play, uh, and he he obviously makes everybody better. They they got McCarr driving it from the back end, and to me, what's really impressive, and, and people haven't brought this up a lot, Louis, but they don't have Eric Johnson on defense. Yep. Everybody's talked about the goaltending, but they're missing a pretty critical, def- uh, you know, a real good top four D man for them. Well, and Connor Timmins went down last night too and left the game. So 
I don't know if Kevin Connaughton will come back in again for that, but it doesn't look like he's going to be able to come back, to be honest with you, after leaving the game. Last night he's had concussion problems in his past. He had that nasty hit in junior when he was a member of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. But, yeah, you're right. When you lose a big veteran defenseman like Eric Johnson, and one of the reasons that Jared Bednar said he wanted to throw Timmons in there was he was a right-handed shot, you know, yeah. and they missed that. I mean, Omicar right now is the only right-handed shot they have in the defense corps. Uh, he's been outstanding, by the way, too. I think the whole Western Conference has just been, you know, it's been a real, you know, for for us watching the young defensemen that just are taking over series in all on all four respective teams that are in the West. It's just been incredible to watch. But, you know, for me, that injury to Timmons will be crucial. Obviously, you've got Michael Hutchinson in there that's won two games in a row. A uh, team that's defending better in front of their goaltender has really buckled down in that department and got a lot more aggressive. And, you know, the Dallas Stars kind of had their way the first few games, getting themselves in, in front of the goaltender, finding those rebounds, um, kind of those greasy, gritty playoff goals. But in the last couple of games, the Avalanche have been done a real nice job to Number one, allow their goaltender to see most of the shots. And number two, there's not a whole bunch left over because they're battling really hard to keep people uh, away from their goalie. So there's been a lot of things. You know, both teams have had goalie issues. I mean, Hudobin was was the starter. He was running the ship, and he was he played eight in a row. And, you know, it looked like he was a goalie. Ben Bishop comes back for game number five and, you know, lets in four goals in the first period. It just doesn't go that well for him. And, you know, you have to credit the Avalanche, too. They came out flying in that game. That's the most dominant period I've seen of any team in the playoffs so far. They scored five goals in the first period and were at 23-4, to four, I believe, was the shots, 23-5, to five, whatever it was. It was just... It was an incredible performance. But uh, as we've seen throughout these playoffs, the Dallas Stars are a team that aren't going to go away, and I'm sure they're going to give their best effort in Game 7 tomorrow night. It's going to be a doozy. You know who Dallas reminds me a bit of? They remind me of Anaheim about four or five years ago because they have the capacity in their game to be incredibly undisciplined, and it's their top players that are doing it. Guys like Jamie Benn, you know what I mean? And so game four, game four, they came out and pounded Colorado from the opening shift and, and, you know, put themselves in position to go up 3-1. And then Colorado elevated their game with speed, and Dallas has been the last two games, at times they played stupid. They've been a really undisciplined team at times. Yep. You know, no question. You're right. It is the veteran players, and uh, you just can't continue. And listen, the the Avalanche went 0 for 5 last night in the power play to start the game. They had three in the first period, two in the second period, and they just couldn't seem to get anything going. But it just messes up your whole flow as a team from the Dallas Stars perspective. When you have that many penalties, you're constantly throwing penalty kills out there, your line combinations are mixed up, you're not getting into a rhythm, the offensive players aren't touching the puck, and it showed. It did, they just looked really out of sorts after those five penalties against. They really did. It really affected their game throughout it, and they just couldn't muster up a comeback to tie the game and, and potentially win it. And credit the Avalanche. They came out skating again. They were a little more... I would say discipline themselves in the sense that they didn't they didn't get run and gunny with Dallas. They just made sure they were playing the right way, which is really crucial, I believe, for them. Another key aspect of last night's game was the cut to Gabriel Landeskog, and he came back and played a 16-second shift, but didn't play anything after that. 
that could be a huge, huge miss for yeah. the Avalanche. He just does a lot. He plays on the top line, obviously, with McKinnon and Rantanen. But when he drops down to the second line with Kadri and he's been playing with Nachushkin on that second line, he just makes that second line much better. It's like a one-two punch. And without him now, there's going to be, have to be other guys that step up and uh, fill a huge void. So we'll see if he is able to play for Game 7, but it didn't look very good. Louis, we'll circle back to the defense because I'm going to tie it into the orders a little bit later on in our conversation. You're doing the Vegas-Vancouver series as well. Vancouver, for me, has stolen at least one game in this series. But if I'm a Canucks fan, I'm excited about what I'm watching because Vegas is a big, deep, heavy team. Uh, you know, they've got two number one goaltenders. Uh, Vancouver's right there. I mean, they've been able to extend the series to six. We'll see if Vegas closes the deal tonight. But it's been an interesting series to watch. And you know when you look at when you look at Vancouver, um, for me the way they've been able to take down, you know some really good teams, and that that to me is the most impressive. Uh, just to be able to, uh, you know, come into the playoffs and just continually get better as it goes along. Whenever they faced adversity, they've been able to step up, and especially taking out St. Louis in the first round. I mean, they go through the qualifying round, they get up against the defending Stanley Cup champions in the first round. And after going up 2 nothing in the series, and I do believe some of that momentum carried over from the qualifying round. They were a little bit yep. more ready to go in that series. But then St. Louis started to dig in and really get back in the series. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, here you go. This is what St. Louis does to you. They find out your weaknesses. They ground and pound. They wear you down. Eventually, teams will and go away because they just can't keep that up for the duration of the series. And that's how they won the Stanley Cup last year. Well, you know what? The Vancouver Canucks did not. They turned around, and every time they needed a response, there was a response. And that, i got to tell you, they've been the most exciting team to watch in the playoffs for me. They, they Just because of the way they've been able to bounce back after bad losses or maybe not the greatest performance, they kind of muster up a game where you can tell they're giving it their all. And that's the one thing that you know about the Vancouver Canucks. They might not do it as a coach would look at and say the perfect way every night. Like even though, you know, game five, the win, um, they were greatly outshot. They played, yep. I call it the armadillo defense. You know, you come back to the middle and you literally put up the shell and you just try and defend as much as possible, be opportunistic in your opportunities offensively. And it paid off for them. You know what? Listen, I think there was a little frustration on the Vegas Golden Knights part in that game. And, uh, they were able to pull out that win because they got timely scoring from different players throughout the playoffs. They've been fun to watch. They've been really fun to watch. Well, uh, Jacob Markstrom didn't play. Uh, his analytics as a goaltender are off the charts. He's going to be a cover yep. player uh, in free agency. And I, I bring that up because Vancouver, to me, right now is a bit like Edmonton was in 16-17, where they're not paying their top players the top money. Right, they've got like back then McDavid and Drysaddle were not on ELCs uh, during the course of the playoffs at that time. And if you take a look at the situation with uh, Vancouver, uh, Pedersen and Hughes are not on their ELCs right now. And so, to me, Vancouver has a surprisingly deep team. And we saw that Louis a bit when Edmonton played Vancouver during the season. Like you know, the Canucks had the capacity to go a little bit further in their lineup, especially up front, in comparison to what the Oilers could do. Yeah, I'm sorry, I kind of misheard what you said there. Did you, Patterson and Hughes are on their entry level. Yeah, yeah, they're on there. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. Like, they yeah. don't have yeah. their best players on second contracts. Well, their best I guys are on ELs. And so it allows them to have money spent as a near cap team and have greater depth. Well, it's amazing, and you're right, because they're young players, they're stars too, right? So because they're on their entry-level deals and they're getting so much out of them at an early age, 
Um, it allows them to go out and do what they've done. They surrounded them with some veteran players, and you know that that's the one thing that I think Jim Benning's done a great job of doing is kind of insulating that young talent right now while he still has the ability to do so because he hasn't had to pay them the big contracts that they're coming. No question about that, but yeah. Yeah, there's a window there, and there's been improvement every year in Vancouver, and that's one thing you and I have talked about it before, too. Their young players have come in. They've jumped right into the situation. Um, you have a player like Quinn Hughes comes in, and again, we'll go back to the defensive conversation about defensemen. It's incredible how much a defenseman and just one real stud back there can just completely change the whole complexion of your team. Uh, they're on the ice for almost half the game. Uh, the way they control the puck out of their zone, the way they control the puck on the offensive blue line. Uh, it's just incredible to me to watch the dynamics of a young Quinn Hughes, a Kale McCarr, a Miro Haskinen. I mean, it's just been incredible. And a Shea Theodore, who I know he's 25, but he's still, he's still a guy that's just coming into his real game. I mean, he was going to set career highs this year, and I think that's just going to be the standard for him now because he's been outstanding in these playoffs. But just that one guy back there, and I'm not taking away from all the other five defensemen on the team by any means here, Bob. There's some real deep defensive teams. Dallas has John Klingberg, who is one of the most, one of the best offensive defensemen in the last seven years in the National Hockey League. guy's outstanding. He's incredible. But when you have that back there and the ability to move the puck that quickly, the, the ability to skate yourself out of trouble, it just makes it so difficult for the opposition for half the game that you're on the ice to uh, really be effective against you. It's incredible. It's been amazing to watch. So, uh, and I'm not saying that either Bouchard or Broberg are at the level of those guys, Louie, though they are, yep. you know, uh, Broberg's an eighth overall pick, Bouchard's a tenth yeah. overall pick, uh, Haskinen and McCarr both were fourth overall picks, or third or fourth during their years. Uh, Hughes went seventh. Uh, but, there, you, you know, I, I, I do wonder whether or not, is there a lesson in the fact that those organizations, like McCarr came right out of the NCAA and played right away and played a lot. Hughes came out of the NCAA and played, uh, you know, a lot. Is there is is there a changing of the guard of the perception? Like maybe you don't have to spend two or three years percolating. Where theater was a little bit different case because of the depth of Anaheim's D. He played yeah. against the Oilers in the 2017 he was playoffs. A bit. Yeah, but you know what I'm you know what I'm saying here. Like I, I think we both know the Oilers' defense has to get better, and they yep. probably have some internal solutions to do that. Do they look to what these guys have accomplished and say, you know what, let's just you know what, that's organically grow out our D, or are those two defensemen not near on the caliber of a McCarr or Hashkinen or a Hughes? Well, you don't know yet, Bob. Honestly, right. I mean, look at Shea Theodore, as you mentioned. It took him a little while to kind of mature. He always knew he was going to be a good defenseman, but, I mean, he really he took a big step last year, and he took a huge step this year. I mean, it was just, you know, he was a completely different animal. And Alec Martinez coming over yeah. um, from the Los Angeles Kings is the perfect deep partner for him. Like, it's perfect. But, but here's the thing. <clears throat> I think that the one thing you touched on that you and I have talked about, I'm, I'm all for giving youth the taste. You have to find out what you have. And the only way you can find out if a player is going to be able to excel at the NHL level is by giving them games. It's by letting them get in there and feel it out and understanding what it's going to be. Sometimes they're going to jump right in, and they're going to be better players at the National Hockey League level than they are on the American Hockey League level, just for whatever reason, the structure of it, the, the fact that they can play at that pace, at a higher pace than most players. And sometimes the AHL can be more scrambly. I, I've told you this before. Playing in the American Hockey League sometimes can be tougher, especially on defensemen, because of the scramblier. There's just more mistakes that are made, and you have to adjust to those mistakes. Whereas at the NHL level, the responsibilities are set in stone. 
And I think that for some players, and especially cerebral players that like that, to be able to have clean lines and outlet passes and make sure people are in the right position when they get the puck, it's easier for them to play at the National Hockey League level because of that. It's just it's just a simpler game in that regard. Um, and But here's the thing. You have to give them opportunity, and I do agree with, giving them a taste, giving them a taste, see how they do. If they don't do well, okay, it's time to go back, work on your game, and then give them a taste again. And I think you're going to start to see that more and more in the National Hockey League because of the way young players have jumped in and just been so successful. But also, you have to draft the right players. Let's not forget, these types of defensemen don't grow on trees. Yep. And there were teams that overlooked some of these defensemen in those respective drafts that look back at it now and go, oops, maybe we should have drafted one of those defensemen. Because, uh, I mean, the teams that did draft them now are reaping those benefits. But it's like any other draft. At 18 years of age, it's really difficult to see how players are going to transfer to the next level and the next level and how they're going to be able to excel at that level. Um, it's, listen... Some teams seem to get it more often than not. It's a very difficult thing to do. I'm not going to sit here and point fingers at scouting stats because I'm telling you right now, at 18 years of age, you never know what direction players are going to go and how, what the ceiling is for each respective player. But I know for a fact that the smaller stature defensemen that are offensive, that can skate, that have that grit and have the will to compete are now becoming way more of a viable option than they ever have been because of the speed of the game. So we're seeing a change in that regard. And, Look no further than the Western Conference in all fourteen. All right, switching focus, uh, the Eastern Conference. Look, Jake's your son. He's playing for Boston. Did you get a chance? How, how challenging was it to try to, to watch those early games as you were prepping for your own broadcast? And just your thought on, uh, you know, the difficulty in, in teams getting St. Didn't happen for St. Louis. Didn't happen for Boston, two teams that were in the Stanley Cup final last year, Lou. Yeah, you know what? Listen, I I did watch parts of the game, uh, not all the games. Uh, I would go back and review games and flick through shifts and things like that. But um, when I was preparing, and especially when it got close to game time, I would usually turn it off and start focusing on my game. And that's just something that I do in my preparation. But you know, listen, they got up against a real tough team. That's what happened. They got that's a good team. That's, that's a that's good a team. Very, very good team. And I. They have been a team that's had Boston's number since, you know, Jake's been in the league. That's a team that, for whatever reason, they beat them two years ago in the first round, second round, sorry, and they beat them this year in the second round. And the two times they didn't have to go through Tampa Bay, or the one time in the last three years, uh, they went to the, the Stanley Cup final. That's the team that, for whatever reason, has their number, and for whatever reason, they're going to have to figure out how to beat. They didn't do it this year. I thought they'd give them a better run this year, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, uh, Give the Tampa Bay Lightning credit. They found a way to finish it off because that's the most difficult one to win is that fourth one, and uh, they didn't give Boston too much life. They snuffed it out. In fairness, the margins are tight. Tampa won a couple overtime games. Boston yep. was playing with their backup. Tuka Rask made a family decision. Nobody's got a problem with that. That was his yep. option, right? But when you go from Vasilevsky and Rask, two guys that are perennial Vesna candidates, to Vasilevsky versus Halak, and we're not talking the 2011 Halak that for the Canadians that pulled off an upset. Uh, it is, I mean, all due respect, and I know you wouldn't say it's just goaltending, but it's a different matchup as a result. It is, and I agree with you, Bob. I think most of the games were closer than you know than people even understand. Obviously, a couple overtime games, but even in the losses, the seven-goal game, okay, you blow that one out, whatever. But let's say you win one of those two overtime games. Now you're one game away, potentially 2-2 in the series. Um, it just gives you a different outlook on it. But when you're down 3-1 and you're chasing it, it's a different mentality as well. Yeah, there were some situations, no question. I don't think Boston's going to make any excuses right now for what happened. 
Um, you have to do it as a team. They had some injuries, yes. They had you know some different situations that arose. Listen, I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, though. They had the better goaltender in the series. They had a deeper back end that moved the puck a little bit better, and they had a deeper forward group. Simple yeah. as that. And when you when you look at it, you're like, okay, they got production from a lot of guys in their forward group. Um, they had 20 goal scorers in their fourth line. I mean, Coleman's a guy that you can shuffle up and down your lineup. They don't even have Stamkos in there. Kucherov left the last game. I mean, they just have, um, a, you know, just a ton of depth. And I think they went out there and acquired some players that give them a little more jam, too, like the Patrick Maroons of the world and the Barclay Goodrows. This is a team that got run out of the building last year in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they faced that adversity. And uh, let's not forget about Braden Point. You know, you and I have talked about Braden player. Point a lot. What a player. One of my favorite players in the league. And I, I've got to watch that kid play since he was 9, 10 years old up against Jake and competing, you know, Edmonton versus Calgary. And he was always the best player on the ice. Every single game when they were kids, he was just outstanding. And he's showing that now in the National Hockey League. That's what he does. Uh, one more, final one for Louis DeBrusque from NHL Hockey and Rogers, our headliner today, Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers. Now, Louis, uh, the cult of hockey has written a piece on uh, Tampa Bay being the model franchise. You played for that organization. Uh, Al Murray did a, has done a tremendous job scouting. They got guys like Radish and Kachuk and uh, Matthew Joseph, who we saw a couple of years ago. Like They've got more prospects coming. But they also do have a, a couple significant advantages uh, in terms of tax, in terms of and in terms of pressure uh, or lack thereof in that market. It's not a Canadian hockey hotbed that's all hockey all the time. You played there. They do have some, you know, advantages that have worked uh, out well for them, don't they? No question. It's a desirable place to live, too. Let's not forget about that. I played there for one year, and I loved it there. Uh, and I you know, I would have stayed there longer. I was traded away from there. But, um, you know, I, I, I love the year that I spent in Tampa Bay. Um, some great memories there. My daughter was born there. And just, you know, the, the weather. I mean, you're in Florida, for crying out loud. It's a pretty, pretty amazing place to play. But it was an incredible contrast coming from Edmonton after six years in Edmonton and going to Tampa Bay. Just just the difference and then you you mentioned that just the pressure is completely different when you go to a team like that i remember you know you'd be front page news in the sun and the journal here in edmonton you go to tampa bay and there'd be a small little clip in the sporting section about the tampa bay lightning uh, for me i actually really uh, welcomed that after being six years in edmonton you did after a while though miss the fact that hockey was so important and and you were under the microscope here you started to miss that again because that's what the allure is of playing in a hockey market is that passion and that fire and you know what the pressure you, you that pressure also pushes you to be the best you possibly can be at times as well but uh, the tax bracket there is, is is terrific as well players want to stay there and look no further than Steven Stamkos he could have went out in the open market and did exactly what John Tavares did yeah. I can tell you if John Tavares was playing in Tampa Bay he probably wouldn't have left but, you know, the situation in on the island in New York, I mean, was a little different. He put his time in there, and he wanted to change, and he went to a huge hockey market in Toronto. He wanted that. That's where he's from. He's a hometown kid. I understand that. I get that. But Steven Stamkos had those same allures, you know, and he didn't He didn't go for it. Why? Because he understood that what he had there was a great position. He had a great team, number one. They've done a great job of assembling that team. And he also understood that it was a great place to live, and he loved it there. So why would he move? And, you know, everybody has to make that decision themselves, but that's just a prime example of a, an elite superstar player that took a little less to stay in that 
city, and that's a big reason why. It's because it's such a great place to live and play. Louie, great analysis as always. We appreciate your time. We'll hook up next week. Sounds good, Bob. Take care, bud. You bet. That's With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Louis DeBrusque, part of Traculant Thursday. Brian Burke coming up at 105 today. We'll take a quick timeout. You're listening to Oilers Now. Hi, this is Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. 1258 in Edmonton into the Oilers Now Injury Report for our friends at James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. They want you to stay safe and stay positive during these challenging times. And a reminder, when accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Back to the 630 Chet Studios. Here's Brennan Escott. Flyers forward Sean Couturier questionable tonight with a suspected knee ailment. Uh, Elaine Vigneault offered no update ahead of Game 6. Could be some gamesmanship, though. And then across the ice, Matt Barzell, a game-time decision. He left the last game after Claude Giroux's stick caught him up near the eye. Uh, Travis Green had no update on Jacob Markstrom yesterday, so consider him a game-time decision as well. Uh, tonight against Vegas, Thatcher Demko penciled in to go against Robin Leonard. Again, Stars goaltender Ben Bishop will not be fit to play in tomorrow's Game 7 against Colorado. He started Game 5 and was pulled early and then didn't dress last night for Game 6. Avalanche captain Gabe Landeskog's status for Game 7 uncertain, Bob. He was clipped above his knee by Kale McCarr's skate last night, tried to return, but could only manage one more shift. All right, super stuff again. That is our injury report brought to you daily by James H. Brown personal uh, injury lawyers and uh, we will head off to a global news weather traffic update with eileen bell brian burke for canadian power pack when we return oilers now with bob stoffer weekdays at noon on oilers radio 6 30 chad